The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 20th of December here in London. This is the Bluebeck Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up today, Colorado's top court disqualifies Donald Trump from the state's 2024 primary election ballot. We have a special report on the giant hedge fund bets that are giving regulators sleepless nights. And homes under the hammer. Bloomberg has crunched the numbers to find UK property prices have fallen by double digits in real terms. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Colorado's top court has barred Donald Trump from the state's 2024 presidential primary election ballot. In an unprecedented move, the judges ruled that the former president had engaged in insurrection and violated the Constitution when he incited the January 6th attack on the US Capitol. Bloomberg's Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr explains what happens now. The Colorado Supreme Court gave Trump until January the 4th to file a Supreme Court appeal. Its ruling will then stay uh, on hold until the Supreme Court resolves the case one way or another. Uh, Chances are very good the Supreme Court will agree to take it up, issue a ruling, and that ruling uh, very, very likely will have nationwide impact. Bloomberg's Greg Storr reflecting there on the Colorado Supreme Court's 4-3 ruling, which was based on a post-Civil War era provision of the US Constitution banning insurrectionists from holding public office. Donald Trump says that he will appeal the decision and his name will remain on the presidential primary ballot until the matter is decided by the US Supreme Court. Now, the U.S. is considering possible military strikes against Houthi rebels attacking ships in the Red Sea. According to people familiar with the matter, the Pentagon is preparing to offer President Biden the option of what was described as a, quote, heavy response. Commercial activity in the region has been hampered by the violence, with nine out of ten of the largest shipping liners now rerouting their vessels, contributing to rising commodity prices. Rolf Harbin Janssen is the CEO of Hapag Law one of the world's largest uh, companies, container shipping companies, and he says that he hopes that the conflict will end soon. I would at the moment still like to think that this is not going to last for very long, and that may then still mean that there is going to be a bit of a spike in in freight rates, um, but uh, hopefully not for uh, a very long period of time. That was Hapag Lloyd CEO Rolf Harbin Janssen there. American allies, including Saudi Arabia, are amongst those worried about provoking a wider war with the Iran-backed militants in Yemen. 
Israel's president has told ambassadors that the country is prepared to agree to a second humanitarian pause in fighting in exchange for the return of more hostages held by Hamas. The offer comes as a UN-Gaza ceasefire vote was delayed for a second day. The previous resolution was vetoed by America while the UK abstained over concerns that the language used could embolden the militant group. Yesterday, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak insisted that both sides would need to agree to the terms. For us, those have to involve the release of hostages. Uh, and it's clear that the last one that we had of these was broken because Hamas stopped releasing hostages, including specifically women. I don't think that was right. Rishi Sunak referring there to the fact that about 129 of those abducted from Israel during the deadly October 7th attack are still being held captive. The Hamas-run health ministry in Gaza says that the subsequent war in Gaza has killed 19,500 Palestinians. Now let's turn our attention to corporate news. Eight traders are behind almost half of all bets against two-year Treasury futures. The tiny number of players and large heavily leveraged bets in the $26 trillion bond market are earning regulatory scrutiny. The SEC voted last week to centrally clear US Treasury trades from 2026 in a move to bring more oversight into the market. And Britain's financial regulator is planning to overhaul the listings rules here in London to attract more companies to the stock market. Bloomberg's Ewan Potts has more on the FCA's new plans. The Financial Conduct Authority wants to reset the plumbing of the UK's stock market. Among the key changes, removing the distinction between standard and premium listings, changing the amount of shares needed to publicly float and removing a requirement for shareholder oversight of large payments. It's all about attempting to make London more attractive to the CEOs of companies looking to list their shares. Companies like chip design giant Arm. I'm not a financial guy, I'm, a, I'm an engineer, uh, so I'll kind of give you just my, my layman's uh, thought around that. I think the capital markets and, and scale, I guess maybe speak about the ARM, mm. uh, our, own, our own case. Very large capital market. Uh, the access to capital was very large in New York. Uh, I think that was one of the reasons that, uh, that really drove that uh, in, in our case. ARM CEO Rene Haas. His decision to list his Cambridge-based tech success story in America supercharged the debate over London's attractiveness as a stock market. The FCA's new rules are an attempt to address that, even if it comes with less oversight for shareholders. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Radio. Now, calculations from Bloomberg Economics highlight the true extent of the UK property sector's slowdown. Taking inflation into account, average house prices are no higher than they were in late 2015. Bloomberg's Tiwa Adebayo has the details. An 11% drop in real terms. According to Bloomberg reports, that's the slump in housing value facing the British market. Cash prices recorded by Nationwide Building Society have fallen less than 5% since peaking in September 2022. But the gap more than doubles when inflation is considered. The downturn represents a change from the 2008 financial crisis when real estate costs plummeted in monetary terms. This time, rising prices are largely responsible for the adjustment. Bloomberg's findings predict fees still have further to fall. In London, Tiwa Adebayo, Bloomberg Radio. 
And now in terms uh, of the coming uh, holiday season, uh, it may be coming up to that festive time of year, but if you're working on Wall Street, don't expect Christmas cheer to translate into a bumper bonus. 2023 has proved to be somewhat of an anus horribilis for lenders with job cuts, collapsing banks and a deal-making drought, all conspiring to erode those year-end rewards. Bloomberg's Anne Cates has more. The bonus pool at J.P. Morgan Chase will be close to flat compared to 2022. At Citigroup, in the midst of its biggest restructuring in decades, the pool will likely be little changed, if not down slightly. But Goldman Sachs and Bank of America are looking to sweeten payouts by at least a few percentage points for many of their traders this year. Wall Street's year-end rewards programs are volatile as the industry cycles through booms and busts. In Washington, Ann Cates, Bloomberg Radio. Well, I mentioned the holiday season. I wonder if you're jetting off somewhere lovely. Best and worst airports? Well, the best in the world is Oman's Muscat International. London's Heathrow Airport not doing so well. It is a horrible 163rd in this ranking that Bloomberg uh, has written up for you of the world's uh, best and worst airports for 2023. Actually, um, the rankings have done on an annual basis by AirHelp. It's a massive survey of, of almost six. 16,000 passengers. Most of the European airports don't do very well at all. Japan and Brazil are up there. And for the US, only three US airports in the top 50. As for Paris, Charles de Gaulle, 173rd. Uh, and uh, JFK, 106th in the world. Oh dear, must do better, perhaps, is the uh, result of that story. Of course, you can read all about it on the Bloomberg Terminal. Now to our top story. A court in Colorado says that Donald Trump should be barred from the US presidency and they have disqualified him from Colorado's presidential primary ballot because of his actions inciting the attack on the US Capitol on the 6th of January 2020, trying to overturn the presidential election. His campaign immediately said that he would appeal to the Supreme Court. Joining me now to discuss is Bloomberg's breaking news managing editor, Derek Wallbank. This is totally unprecedented. It's four weeks before the first Republican nominating contest, which takes place in Iowa. So the whole sort of process of deciding the uh, Republican candidate. What does the Colorado court decision actually say? Well, it's a really straightforward question, but not one that gets asked a lot. There is a provision in the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which got put in after the U.S. Civil War. Essentially, it says, if you have aided in an insurrection or rebellion against the United States and you're a former office holder, you you can't hold an office Again, and that applies to elected office. That applies to the uh, to the military, to judgeships, uh, all sorts of things. But essentially, it, it was intended as a broad scale provision to prevent a bunch of Confederate sympathizers from washing over the new Union government back in the 1860s and 70s. Now. That hasn't been tested too much because the U.S. hasn't seen too many large-scale internal rebellions, right? Um, January 6th, though, uh, the the actions that were taken by a lot of Trump supporters overrunning the Capitol, uh, invading the House and Senate floors, trying to prevent the certification of Joe Biden as president, that is something that has been classed by many as an insurrection. And were that to be the case, uh, Donald Trump cheerleading uh, on protests would 
you know, potentially face scrutiny under this title. I, I'm using a lot of conditional phrases here because even mm. though there is a sort of per se dictionary definition of what an insurrection is, there's not actually a lot of follow-on law or case law to sort of clarify this point. What is the dictionary definition of an insurrection. As you know, in the law, uh, no matter what country you're in, the law, the definitions really matter here. And there's just not a lot there. As you said, Iowa's voting very, very soon. And Colorado says he can't be on the ballot. Well, Iowa not just says that he can be on the ballot, but Donald Trump is leading in primary polls with more than 50 percent support. So very soon, in fact, in mid-January, these positions are going to be in existential conflict. And so I would expect, and Donald Trump is already talking about, appeals up to the Supreme Court to urgently remedy the answer to this. Okay, so what would that process look like? Um, you know, how quickly can it be done? Because the court decision has been stayed, you know, whilst it potentially goes to the Supreme Court. Yes, we are in a little bit of, uh, of, of unprecedented territory here. Um, theoretically, you're talking about you could take a divergence in state Supreme Court rulings to the Supreme Court uh, and just say you, you have to be the ones to clarify this. At the end of whatever legal maneuvering there is, I think the general expectation is the Supreme Court will have to make a ruling on this matter. That court is 6-3 in terms of who got appointed uh, Republicans to Democrats. So, and, and Trump appointed quite a few of them. So there is a thought that the court is, is uh, inherently maybe more favored to Trump's disposition. But as I say, this is an untested process, and there are some scholars on the right uh, who have said that, that Trump falls foul of this. It's one of those scenarios, even if you sort of imagine that it's most likely that the Colorado decision will not stand, and I think that's probably a lot of people's gut-check reaction here, this does have such a whip-of-the-long-tail kind of uh, impact that it's absolutely worth paying attention to as it goes forward. Okay, that's that's uh, worth noting then and underlying. Meanwhile, of course, Trump, as you say, is the is the Republican front runner. Um, you know, by a, a good stretch in terms of U.S. polling, he was then on effectively on the campaign trail and doing another rally. And uh, we have reported on this a number of times. He again accused immigrants coming into the United States um, uh, of a number of things, including bringing in crime and disease. He talked about undocumented migrants as, quote, ruining the fabric of the U.S. So using extreme language and again, a very anti-immigrant platform for Trump currently. That's right. And and as you say, uh, he is the front runner in his party for the nomination. Look, I, I don't think that Trump would be doing this if it weren't perceived to be successful on his side. And indeed, he can take uh, lessons from any number of countries all, all the way around the world on the idea that trying to beat up on immigrants and cast people who don't have your passport status as, as somehow worse uh, inherently, that seems to be a trend across a lot of countries uh, now. Trump certainly, though, as I say, unsubtle about what he's saying. He's saying it very loudly and very clearly. Uh, and it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be something that we're going to have to watch very closely to see whether or not there are political consequences for that or if, it is, as I'm sure that he surmises, he's going to reap an electoral reward. 
Okay, Derek, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Peter Biggs, Breaking News Managing Editor Derek Warbank then uh, on the latest on uh, former President Donald Trump, the campaign, the Colorado court decision. Uh, We'll have more of that throughout the morning. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Meanwhile, to a major story on the Bloomberg Terminal today, a secretive bunch of hedge fund traders uh, dominate the massive basis trade. This is the discrepancies in the US Treasuries market. Now, they've made billions of dollars for their companies, but they've also spooked quite a lot of global regulators. Bloomberg's finance reporter, Will Shaw, has been writing about this along with a number of colleagues and joins me now in the radio studio. Will, really good to have you on the programme. Okay, first of all, let's go back to basics. What is the basis trade exactly? Um, So it's basically a bet by hedge funds that benefits from the tiny gaps between treasuries and futures. And now a core group of about 10 hedge funds make bets so big that they've become central to the buying and selling of treasuries, which are one of the cornerstones of financial markets. Now, so it's a a complicated niche area, Mm. but obviously it's of massive importance in terms of finance. So the three big players that we looked at are Jonathan Hoffman at Exodus Point, John Bonello at Millennium, and Jonathan Tippermas at Citadel. Okay. Um, now, what do regulators think about all of this? You know, because they are such large trades. So, frankly, the regulators are a little bit spooked. Now, effectively, what they're worried about is a repeat of March 2020, when the basis trade blew up so spectacularly just before the Federal Reserve had to jump in and resuscitate the market. Regulators are watching this very closely. Last week, the SEC, alarmed by the scale of the borrowing that's involved, voted in new rules that that may make the trade economically less enticing. I think it should point out at this point as well, hedge funds don't buy that argument, as you might expect. Citadel's Ken Griffin, for example, says that the enormous volume of the trade means that hedge funds are in fact making the market more efficient. Okay, yeah, and because they borrow a great deal, they make tiny, tiny profits, but obviously on a huge volume of trades, you borrow the money and and so it's it's a big deal. How much money exactly is involved though? Uh, the short answer, a lot. Uh, the longer answer, um, a net short position on Treasury futures, which is effectively a fair proxy for the wages popularity, has spiked to $800 billion from $650 billion as recently as July. And that's from Bank of England data earlier this month. Now, in terms of the money involved with the individual traders, oh. take Bonello, for example, his team at Millennium generated nearly $1.5 billion of profit in 2020. However, the team also suffered more than $100 million in losses at one point in the same year. So, 
it's a roller coaster. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it then, can be a roller coaster. It, it can be. Um, wow, it's such a fascinating story. Just give us a flavour of the main players because it is also about the personalities, isn't it? Yeah, so they're very secretive, but there is mm. information out there about them. Uh, Hoffman was at Lehman Brothers. He was often seen at his boss's desk, peppering him with questions. He sued Lehman in 2014, claiming it owed him $83 million in pay. Uh, Bonello began his career at Merrill Lynch in sales before moving on to Deutsche Bank. He's quite gregarious. Since 2020, he's bought a $20 million apartment overlooking Central Bank in New York and a $34 million mansion in Los Angeles. Uh, Tipamus, he was a competitive wrestler at MIT and also wow. previously a dollar swaps trader at Goldman Sachs. So that was some time ago. OK, well, it's a really interesting piece. Um, have a read of it on the Bloomberg Terminal. Great reporting, very interesting on, uh, yeah, on a story that we've covered a lot at uh, Bloomberg, the ups and the downs, you know, of, of the basis trading over the last few years. It's got a lot of regulators' attention. Uh, read a Bloomberg finance reporter, Will Shaw's piece on the Terminal. And thanks a lot for coming into studio and talking to me about it. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 11.30. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.